back to get to the good part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we have started off now with chapter 32. And to recap, we have escaped IOI. We've run off, hold ourselves into a, a dirty, dirty, pay-by-the-hour... Oasis Parlor. Oasis this... Parlor. This is mm. this is skanky, sticky, sketchy. This is just, you know, the, you know, this is wash yourself. Like, you should go in with the antibiotic soap and just, when you get out, scrub yourself. This is a dirty, nasty place. And then kill yourself. <laughs> the nuke the room. Ugh. Uh, but he he uses this room in order to get together with the high three. High four. Well, are we including him? Oh, uh, well. Yeah, I know. It, it's, too, is it too soon? It, it's the reunion of the surviving members of the High Five. The high Five, the surviving members <laughs> of the High Five, like they're pouring a, a virtual drink on the ground for their homie. Yeah, <laughs> and that's and that's where we start. We start off in H's basement, and and him basically meeting up with everyone. So take us into the basement, if you will. Well, he appears at the top of the stair, mm-hmm. and then suddenly. Everyone is just, well, certainly H is super excited to see Parzival again. He's like, Z, what's up? Where have you been, buddy? I missed you. I love you, man. So it's kind of nice to see H has let bygones be bygones and really missed his friend, you know, good mm-hmm. for him. Well, you know, when the chips are down and the stakes are high, you don't piddle around with the little shit, right? You get back to the basics with your buddies. Well, I suppose once you find out that you're all being hunted, you uh, you figure out who your friends are, and maybe you make some decisions. Like, you know what? They're not so bad. No, not so much. Yeah, we're just gonna forgive those issues, right? Yeah. But also the fact that technically Wade could have been dead, like over that week. Like he was basically, you know, he left them a message that said, "I'm gonna go do something stupid now," <laughs> and then he's gone for like a week and a half. So as far as they're concerned, he could have been dead. Even if they started to get messages from him saying, hey, let's meet up in the basement. Once you see him, and then it's real, like he's actually alive. I actually hadn't thought of it that way, that this was like a proof of life, so to speak, to them. <laughs> proof of life. <laughs> Bring a newspaper with the date on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could see why it all would be forgiven. Because, you know, if you thought somebody could possibly be dead, they just dropped off the planet, dropped it, particularly for Wade, who was on the Oasis all the time. That, that he would just drop out of existence for a week is unheard of unless he was dead. Yeah. And, and for him to come back and say, I have traveled to the underworld. I have survived it. I've come out of it. And I have come bearing gifts. I have crossed the river Styx and came back to tell the tale. Exactly. And by the way, they're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> when somebody escapes hell and they say the devil's coming for you guys specifically, just thought you ought to know. Yeah, find your own shady booth full of dried up cum and piss and shit. Oh, <laughs> and that's uh, that's yeah. Well, yes, but uh, just it's it's hard to even hear you say that. And the funny thing is that Artemis's situation is act. She says she's paying by the minute, by the minute. Yeah, but okay. When we talk about like phone booths. I don't know if anyone listening to this remembers phone booths, but that's what you did. You paid by the minute, like the phone booth where you'd pay about, you know, prepay for a couple minutes. And then the phone booth would be like, yeah, if you want to keep talking, pop in a few more quarters. And then I think the younger part of our audience is saying, what is a phone 
booth. What do you mean call somebody? What's a phone call? <laughs> for those who don't know, for those who were born, I'd, you know, after the phone booth era, we are not talking about, we are certainly not talking about Doctor Who and, and his phone booth. We are talking about those shady, crappy metal boxes where you didn't even want to hold, like, I don't even know how the phone handle got as fucked up as it ever does. Like every phone handle looks like it's military grade and then looks like it's been through war. <laughs> like there are sc- there's marks and scuffs and scratches and part of the plastic's been like broken and it looks some, like somebody just took it and just whacked it for an hour against the metal casing of the phone booth. Like this just nasty, nasty phone receiver that you would hold to your head to talk. You put this nasty thing right next to your face. And then the fucking buttons, like they were either hard or or they like were so easy they pressed twice, <laughs> and you have to hang up and try again. It was uh, nasty. Phone, phone booths, booths nasty. So the idea that they're they're all kind of holed up in their own booths. Artemis saying that she's at the Vancouver airport, and who else is phoning it in from a booth? Was it Shoto that's phoning it in Shoto's from a booth at a manga cafe in Osaka? That can't be clean. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> and of course. H is in his RV. Right. Well, you know, definitely the RV being the preferred place to go. And we'll definitely round about to that. But it starts off with Wade basically delving into what he kind of hasn't really told them what he's been through exactly. They're like, you know, where did you get this data from? You know, how legit is this information you just sent us? So somebody sent me a folder and in that folder were pictures of me and my house and then emails about how they were going to kill me. I would take that pretty fucking seriously. I think you would have to. Yeah. At least for at least for a minute. Yeah. If the smoking man came up to me and handed me that folder and I've never met this person, I might be suspicious that it's an elaborate hoax, but I would still be a little concerned because, you know, the smoking man w- would have come up and handed it to me. But if a friend came to me and handed me this information, I, I would take it at face value. I think you have to raise at least one eyebrow. Maybe even two. Well, well, and it comes back, you know, how can you be sure that this information is, is good? And sure enough, like if he's gone for a week, I would still be freaking, you know, wouldn't it be obvious that this came from IOI? I don't know where else they would think it would come from. From him? Maybe he just pulled it up online, found it, a, found it in a back-end black market information. In the elite Hacksaw's warehouse? Yeah, like, like they got, all of them got doxxed. And uh, he pulled that info or some shit like that, right? Yeah, it was the Russians. It was the Russians. <laughs> it's it's interesting that they question it here, but at least what it does is it opens up the scenario where he can kind of tell them what he's been through. And that's what he delves into. So he delves into the fact that he hacked into the Sixer database and, and downloaded it. Of course, the first question that they would kind of come to is, you know, how the hell did you do that? How exactly did you manage that Z? Oh, well, I assumed a fake identity and was an indentured servant. Well, you just simplified your whole story into like two sentences. Yeah, like that's totally underselling it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, I just faked my identity, had them kidnap me, became an indentured servant for a week, and then I escaped. Oh, boy, it's been a full week. What have you guys been doing? Yeah, yeah, just (laughs) another day at the office. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys like actively working on trying to get to that gate? Because, uh... You know, if you didn't do what I did. Yeah, what the fuck you been doing for the last eight days? <laughs> <laughs> you know, by the end of this, at least at least from the story perspective, movie aside, Hugo Z has earned this. Parzival has more than earned this. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, from the previous chapter to this one, you can't walk away not thinking number one Gunter. Yeah. I mean, he he literally puts his life in danger. Mm-hmm. Voluntarily. <laughs> Without much thought. <laughs> or maybe with a lot of thought, but... Yeah, and this is the second time. This is kind of the second. We talked a number of chapters ago about how him leaving the trailer park with his identity gone, with the presumption of him being dead, was like him traversing down, like being dead, like him traversing into the underworld. Him going into this reclusiveness, into that one-room hotel that he ends up setting his connection to the Oasis in. This is his second delve into hell. This is like the deeper delve into hell, where now he can return out. So when we talk about the hero's journey, I love the idea of telling the story from the hero's journey, this idea that a good story on a grander scale should have the hero's journey where you leave home and then you kind of go into a state of chaos and you're changed and then you you come back a different person and you return back to where you came from, a better person but better in the sense that the experience has sort of honed you. And I know for those that are listening that are familiar with the hero story, I've left out probably a few steps there. It's just because I'm recalling it from memory. I think a good book actually has the hero story sort of repeated or cycled through. Like you go through an event, you come out a different person, but you've returned back to where you came from. So in this situation, over the past few chapters, what we've really heard is this sort of hero story where he went from being in the Oasis going into hell, which is IOI, to doing what he did and escaping, and then returning back to his friends, a different person, even if it's ever so slightly. And maybe this is arguable, but his friends acknowledge him as being kind of a better person, or at least the better of them to an extent. Well, they practically revere him in almost a godlike manner. Whoa, how did you do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And this isn't just him being spectacular in the Oasis. For the first time, he has stepped up in real life to be spectacular. And I think that bears at least some bit of note because, you know, him leaving the trailer park was not spectacular. He didn't have a fucking choice. Here in the book, him going to IOI is this sort of first mark of real bravery, real life risk. And also being away from what he's familiar with, which is the oasis for ten days. You know, if I you know, if you get were pulled out of your comfortable place, your home, your shire, if you will, and you're going and making that trip to Mordor, and you're coming back to a, a happy little shire, you're, you're you're a different person. You're a different hobbit. God damn it. We've often made the comparison of the oasis to a drug. Mm-hmm. So for him to be away from his fix for you know eight days is relatable painful yeah and he even said in the previous chapter when he puts on that portable rig mm-hmm. even though it was a shitty rig it still felt comforting to put it on and <laughs> he'd reached his personal record it was like <laughs> it's like putting on somebody else's body condom at least it feels familiar <laughs> sorry go on yeah so <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like somebody who's dealing with addiction problems yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh so that's that's an interesting segue point. Uh so let me ask it, have you ever dealt with uh addiction issues? Can you relate to this? Does caffeine count? Caffeine fucking counts. Yes, it does. I drink one, maybe two cans of full throttle, which is like two or three doses of 200 milligrams of caffeine. 
and probably just a little bit of sugar too. Well, it's it's delivered by sugar, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but it's still a lot of, and it's like, you know, caffeine on different levels. So it's like taurine and, you know, a bunch of shit yeah. that's just, you know, your heart looks up at the, the top of your head and goes, really? Fuck you. And, but, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what though, if I go without it for two or three days, I get just these horrible caffeine migraines and the, I, it, it's my body saying, you must have this, you know, I am punishing you and I could go out and buy a can and drink it. My headache will be gone. It is fucking migraine level, and drinking it makes it go away. I think I said in a previous episode that I had a little bit of a Red Bull problem during my, my graduate mm-hmm. thesis days. Right. It was not a good time, but you know I did purge my system of that stuff, and I don't think I've ever had it since. So yeah. that's good. But I also don't want to necessarily diminish people that have much more serious addiction problems. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and complain about, oh, I was on Red Bull, blah, blah. Caffeine's rough, man. I, I still find it amazing that a drug like caffeine can be incorporated into so many foods and is accepted so widely, particularly because it is as addictive as it is and painful to get away, I might add. And yet, you know, other drugs that are not addictive are prescription and, and just really, frankly, difficult to get to. But I have to imagine that that's what it was like going to IOI and having to sit in front of the help desk terminal, you know, helping, what was it, Hotcock 007? Oh, yeah. Good old Hotcock 007. Not only are you suffering from withdrawal, but you're dealing with Hotcock 007. <laughs> it was a figurative hell in many ways. Oh, Jesus. It's like it's like going to rehab and... and uh... <laughs> S- serving beer? <laughs> I guess having to go to rehab and serving beer. Yeah, sure. I was going to compare it to like some annoying popular character, but I didn't want to call anyone out. Anyhow, anyhow. Okay. So his friends are both questioning the information and, and of course he drops the bomb. Oh, well, you know, I just went to IOI as an indentured servant and just recently escaped. And, you know, H's response is, dude, you have balls of solid adamantium. Fuck Yeah serious respect could you imagine those fuckers clanking around i don't know how light's adamantium are we talking about titanium light i mean don't get me wrong like if i got two marbles between my legs it's still going to be weighty and i gotta imagine the sack's going to be dragging a little low (laughs) uh but if uh, adamantium's relatively light it's gonna swing like a pendulum you know could you imagine like trying to like rush for the airplane and you just hear fucking you know it's it's, it would be like you know you're you're basically running for the airport and, and and all you hear is I'm trying to catch, trying to catch my flight, but I can't. But my balls keep knocking. It gets caught in the revolving door. <laughs> my balls keep knocking. Excuse me. <laughs> Rough. Uh, it's still though admirable, but but when he mentions adamantium, uh, that's obviously a reference. This is one of those references that I actually knew right off the bat. I was learned in that reference already. Right on. Unlike many of the others in this book, this one was one of the few that I knew. And of course, it refers to the very special metal that exists in the Marvel Comics universe, and most famously as Wolverine's Claws. Mm. Yes, his bones were were replaced with the uh, adamantium metal, as well as his claws. Which is supposed to be some badass metal. 
right? Yeah. The super alloy that once it is hardened, once it is cooled, it cannot be melted down again. Or broken. It's supposed to be unbreakable or something like that. Right. Yeah. Sounds the balls. Get it? See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unbreakable balls. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. What else in the Marvel Universe is made of animantium? Pretty sure Captain America Shield is. No. No? It's made of vibranium. Oh, sorry. I th- why did I think it was and animantium? Animantium is actually was the attempt to copy vibranium. Oh. Metal-wise, as an alloy. But it, it did not come out equal to vibranium. Gotcha. Right around the time I was reading Ready Player One for the first time was mm-hmm. when I was getting into the X-Men comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started right around the Dark Phoenix saga. This was the good old age of Chris Claremont's X-Men, which was fucking okay. awesome. That was a series I really enjoyed. And then I remember getting to the Days of Future Past arc. This was mm-hmm. years before the movie came out. I remember reading those two issues and saying, that was a fucking awesome arc. I really enjoyed X-Men. As much as I have deep, deep respect for comic book genres, I do, I do, I, I don't actually indulge in the comic book world nearly as much as pretty much anyone else I know, right? And that's sad, given the, the era that I came from, the great comics that came out of that era. One of the things that I do personally believe, though, is that the comic books of our day and age, maybe in a hundred years, maybe a thousand years, maybe two thousand years, will be looked back on as a reflection of our gods. You know, like we look back at the variety of gods from ancient Egypt and, you know, Greek and Roman lore. And th- that's what this is. That's what our comic books are. They are these archetypes of these godlike humans with human characteristics, but still having very human problems. And that's what the gods were during that period of time. Like, they had tons of stories across a variety of mythos. And it was about how these gods really kind of had these very human issues and that they were used to explain the human issues that we interact with on a daily basis, right? And I, and if people look back thousands of years, you know, if, if we, <laughs> you know, if, if, if a giant comet comes and fucks up the universe or fucks up our world and, uh, you know, a squeak of humanity survives, they might look back unknowingly and see all these fucking comics and go, these were their gods. And these are the stories of their gods. I could totally see that. That the Lord Almighty Spider-Man? That's right. The all-powerful, uh, you know, all-father Superman. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, yeah. the, the goddess Diana of Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I... Very much. I could see that. I could see that quite a bit. It reminds me of um, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, where he meets up with that tribe of of lost people kind of out on the on the outer edges. And, you know, their mythos, their religion is centered around one of those little red picture flip things. Uh, the, um, the Viewmaster. <laughs> yeah, the Viewmaster. Right. It's got like a, you know, a picture of, of their god, Sergeant. Bill Johansson and Bill Johansson's beautiful wife. And it's like a strip dancer or a flamingo dancer, right? <laughs> like they've created a story based on the slides in this little Viewmaster. That reminds me of that Star Trek episode. We're talking Next Generation? Next Generation. Did you watch okay. TNG? Oh, to, oh, yes. Almost exclusively. So the one where they're kind of observing that planet of kind of the, the humanoid species that's kind of almost like a snapshot of 
humanity's past, and then they mm-hmm. kind of get found, sort of. But then they is that the one where one of the uh, one of the gals wants to have sex with Riker? No, this was the one where somebody gets injured on the planet. They are not supposed to know that they're there. They take mm-hmm. them up, and then they see Picard in kind of like this hazy vision. And then they get sent back, presumably having had their memory erased. But then they mm-hmm. think that there's this godlike being named Picard. I don't. You know what? I thought I'd seen every episode. I don't remember that one. I remember a few sort of first contacty episodes, right? There was one where they were observing, but they had like modified themselves to look like the people on the planet. Yeah, th- th- this is that episode. Are you sure? Because there, there was one where, where Riker goes down and he gets injured and then they find out he's an alien. And one of the gals is kind of like, ah, I've always wanted to, you know, have sex with an alien. You know, do you want to like get it on? And he's like, uh, no, not now. I don't, I don't remember that episode. But anyway, <laughs> let's get back. It, it, yeah, circle that shit back around. I'm sorry. <laughs> How did we get off track? So anyway, um, uh, enough about balls and adamantium. Let's 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 get back to things. <laughs> okay. Like, why don't we talk about how you have Shoto and H are just sitting there kissing the feet of Parzival for his amazing actions, and then there's Artemis. Like, what the f? Right, right. Remember we talked about this. She was super pissed off because he looked into her file. Oh, is that what they're calling it now? Yeah, well, you know, it, and we had this conversation, and I, I don't even, we had this conversation in chapter 31, or when he was, like, going through it, and I was like, that's some personal shit. Like, he purposefully went and sought out pictures, or, and then he fucking sends her an email, you're even more beautiful in reality. I mean, that kind of crosses the creepy line, doesn't it? Like, like by the way, your life's in danger, and you're pretty. Yeah, but but you can't fault him for looking. No, no, we can't. Think about it this way. If he just said, by the way, I just escaped IOI. I saw mm-hmm. that they have these files on you. So that must mean that they have some pretty bad shit going on. Maybe you ought to leave town. That doesn't mean anything. Right. There's no, it's got no balls. It's got nothing to stand on. It's got, it's got no balls. It's got no balls to it. Is that the problem? Yeah. It's. Ah, someone's got the balls. (laughs) All right, fine, fine. Okay, how about this? How about this? Let's say that you find these files and, you you know, the the text obviously says we're going to to kill you. And then there's this file off to the side that is videos from her bathroom. I get it. Like, you know, she's uber sensitive about how she looks and it's personal and at that level, potentially kind of intimately personal, right? So for him to go through and... And and view those images when he knows that she wants that. Like, this isn't one of those things where it's kind of like, well, I didn't know you didn't want me to know what you looked like. My bad. He knew, right? And he went and looked anyhow. But there was no reason to look. Like, he, he had all the information he needed. It wasn't like a meme where it was a picture of her staring off into space with the words under it, hmm, she's going to die soon. Right? No, like the, the the whole notation of her dying soon had nothing to do with the pictures. There was just evidence that they had been watching her. So this whole excuse of, well, I mean, I, I had to see them, <laughs> you know, like I had to had to see them to save your life. Be like, well, here's a folder of, you know, video from her bathroom. I have to see this if I'm going to save her life. It comes off pervy, dude. It may come off that way, but that clearly was not his intention. His intentions were to go in and ver- and see what kind of shit they had on everybody to know mm. what they were dealing with. It's the same reason why he accepted the chat invitation from Sorrento. 
Sure. And I suppose the same argument could be made to the sensitivity from Shoto about him seeing Daito's death. Sure. But Shoto didn't like put up a front about that. So I get it. I, I get where I kind of get where she's coming from. She does eventually realize that, uh, you know what? He did kind of save my life. So, OK, but for now, just for now, just for a second. Yeah. yeah. And she does eventually circle back around. She does eventually thank him for saving her life. Given how pissed off we know that she is, I, I have a vision in my head of Parzival materializing in the basement and Artemis running up to him and punching him in the face. That's kind of what I would think was, oh, Artie, it's so good. To... Yeah, I want I that I told you not scene. to look at my shit, you asshole. <laughs> exactly. Like, kick him in the nards. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. But okay. So moving beyond that, I suppose. We've kicked that one in the balls enough. The balls, huh? Yeah. So then circling back to the 10 zettabytes, he triples the 10 zettabytes by sending it to them all. <laughs> and Oh, that should be easy, right? You just kind of drop it to them. It's like it's like giving them a like an M&M, I guess. How many Dropbox accounts is 10 zettabytes? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Did you do the fucking math on that one? No. <laughs> oh dude, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I just I just want to fucking give me a moment. I will work this out. We're going to cut this all out anyway. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. Just can we can we just cut right to the math? Yeah, we'll cut right to the math. Okay, so we're talking about a lot of Dropbox accounts. Yeah, I don't want to do the math anymore. <laughs> it would take me more time than I care to dump into. We are, however, talking about billions and billions of dollars of <laughs> of Dropbox accounts. <laughs> okay, moving on. Oh, thank moving God. Moving on. So, so much fucking, so much fucking money. Anyhow, he's just dropping them ten zettabytes worth of information each. Yep, and they're getting warnings that their Dropbox is full by a right, lot. Right, by a lot. <laughs> You might have to bump it up to the business class. Yeah. Sorry you've exceeded your three terabytes uh, with the 10 zettabytes that were just dumped <laughs> on your ass. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> here's a bill for a trillion dollars. <laughs> Anyone picking up now? We spent the past 20 minutes that were probably cut out <laughs> trying to work out the math on the fly. We came up with grossly different numbers, but I think at the very least you can agree that we are talking about billions and billions of dollars worth of Dropbox accounts if you got the standard. So it's like 1250 times, what did you come up with, like 40 billion or some 40 trillion? It was a lot of fucking money. There, it's really there what it came may down have to. been a decimal point that got moved around here and there. We just fudged it a little bit. Yes. So if somebody wants to do the math for us, that would be awesome. <laughs> we will come back to it in the next episode. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Dropbox has um, pretty much filled up three times over. Yeah. <laughs> Just a few times. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a lot of fucking data. And more importantly, like to have that much information, like that's 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 more than like twice as much as the internet generally would have that people would consume over the period of a year. Yeah. By, by one report. Right. That's a lot of fucking information. And what I found so funny was that in this chapter, he says there's so much stuff on Halliday in this 10 zettabytes, it would take months to look at it all. So 
That is a gross underestimation. Well, is it or is it basically saying how big data really is in this day and age? Like we were talking last time about how the size of games went from two floppy disks to gigabytes in mm-hmm. very little time. So is it just that data size necessitates all this space so therefore they don't even think about it like that like the way we're thinking about it as whoa that's a lot of data kind of like when we were growing up booting things off of floppy drives or loading things onto 600 something megabyte cd-roms and thinking how awesome that was the concept of a gigabyte at that point was amazing to us yeah so, all right, I was looking up how much data does a given business or organization store. This is from 2015. Okay, so and, not that long ago. And the amount of data that is stored by these businesses has grown over the past four years, we're almost to 2019, exponentially. So let's just talk from 2015. The NSA had 2,000 petabytes worth of data. Roughly, because I'm pretty sure NSA is not going to come back with the damn exact number, right? But there's so the rounding a smidge, right? Second up is the Beatles Storage Cloud. I had never heard of it. I didn't even know the Beatles put out that much music, but evidently it was 880 petabytes. I know. To anybody listening to this, I know we're not talking about the band, the Beatles. YouTube came in third, just ahead of Los Alamos National Laboratory with 504 petabytes. To keep that, you know, in perspective, what is it? A thousand petabytes is one zettabyte? Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. A thousand petabytes is one exabyte. Oh, Jesus. And then a thousand exabytes is uh, one. 1,024, yeah. Okay. Well, roundish. A thousand exabytes is, is that a zettabyte? I believe so. Okay. So it, we're, we're talking about, imagine all the videos on YouTube just three, four years ago, and then multiply that by several thousand. Okay. We're not talking about several months to go through this data. We would be talking about decades <laughs> it would take it would be have you forgotten the they did the math post that i referred to if all that data was converted into the largest video format that exists today it would mm-hmm. be like 27 million years or some shit like that worth of video yeah yeah so even if it was as big as it could be but i gotta wonder because we are talking about higher speeds higher amount of memory uh higher processing speeds if the quality is better. So when we talk about better, 10 years ago, 640 by 480 was the standard. 640 by 480 still is uh, a standard as far as some videos concerned, but now we're talking about 1080p. We're talking about uh, H4. It's getting bigger, right? Yeah, and now you got to think about that if you're screen capping or recording Oasis interactions, you're talking about a multi-dimensional, potentially you take a video something and you could... You could walk around that space, even though you only pointed your your virtual camera one direction, but there may right. be enough data in that screen shot, so to speak, that would let you maneuver that space. That's true. Totally get that. And when we talk about That'd you know video, cool. high definition shit, and 3D rendering, it could be that you could get a lot of information would be an incredibly large amount of data, uh, but still consumable in a short period of time, right? Yeah. You know, my concern there would be as if it was like documents. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of Word documents. <laughs> that's a lot of reading. All right, all right. But moving on, still a lot of fucking data, way more than the largest organizations that we are aware of that are reporting the amount of data that they've got. 
just, you know, a gargantuous amount of data we're talking about. And they're just fucking dropping it to each other. Like, here's 10, here's 10 zettabytes yeah. worth of stuff. Wow, this will take weeks to go through. <laughs> <laughs> weeks. Uh, but I, I, I do find it interesting, though, is that, you know, they've got their folders. And, you know, from the storyline perspective, they're still kind of questioning where the quality of this and where it's coming from. Um, At least no one said, you must have faked this. Come on, only 10 zettabytes? Really? You thought mm-hmm. you were going to pull one over on me? But but the upside here is that in sharing that, he's able to provide them proof that they don't have a fucking clue. That IOI has been in there, they're banging against the door, and they don't have a fucking clue. And what I particularly like about this is, uh, and I don't know if they're really emphasizing it or not, but I really like the fact that Sorrento wants to be the guy that gets the egg. He's the only one attempting the key. Yeah. You know, his self, this this concept of, you know, the villain being so self-absorbed that the idea that it could take anyone else but one person to do is totally lost on them. It's an example of hubris gone wrong, you know? Yeah. If he just didn't want to look like the biggest cock on the block, they potentially could have solved this much quicker because he wants to be the only guy, the, the concept of, the you know moving further into the chapter and the charity hope faith the reads the magic number thing like maybe that's just so far out of his realm of even possibilities that it just won't even consider it and that's why eight days later after with parzival sitting a few floors down from him he hasn't figured it out yet with a team of experts it does strike me odd that a a team of experts that there's not that one kid that has been told he sucks at everything, but they just, they're going to bring him in. He was just good enough to pass the oology exam. And his one specialty is schoolhouse rock. Seriously. <laughs> you know, like everyone has their specialty. His is schoolhouse rock and no one's listening to him. I want to, I want to read the short story about the kid whose only specialty was schoolhouse rock and how nobody fucking listened to him <laughs> when he figured out what it was. What was just so eye-opening to me about this and how ridiculous it was that they didn't figure it out was that they got to the 1 Corinthians 13.13 Bible verse, Mm -hmm. which mentions the words charity, hope, and faith. Mm -hmm. And it mentions them in the order they're listed in the song. Right. So you're, you're stuck on the song. Well, it could be that it would be way too easy to do a search with the words in the right order. Perhaps, but I played around with some Googling, obviously, because mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking Google might still be around then. And if you type those words in just kind of together, you will eventually get the order that they show up in this verse, and you will eventually find this song without trying too hard. See, here's the thing, is that when I typed in the words, as it is mentioned in the book, I did not see Schoolhouse Rock come up in the first page. I didn't either. It's probably in the second or third page, though. So you can do a Probably. little more deep digging if you have the energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, not having it in the right order didn't bring it, didn't bring it up for me. Instead, it brought up, like, the 70s band. Yep, the 70s band. And I saw that, and I listened to that, because I thought, well, maybe. And then I was like, no. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but, you know, the autocomplete wanted Schoolhouse Rock because somebody else had searched for Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. That that might be. I'm wondering if that's why it showed up on my second page. Because I had just looked up the video to, to watch the, the three is a magic number. Well, what they come to find here is that Sorrento puts his key in, and it doesn't matter what direction he turns it. 
It doesn't matter how he says the words, and it turns out that he's said it in multiple languages, the door will not open. And then he's had plenty of oologists kind of tossing ideas, tossing recommendations, but basically shooting in the dark is what he's doing here. Pretty much. I thought it was interesting, though, that they explored kind of all the, the geekery realms there. Says it in Klingon, Elvish, uh, says it in Latin. Like, Latin would make sense. I could see Latin. Yeah. That felt to me like a throwback to the earlier chapter, I believe it was, was six or seven, mm-hmm. when Parzival is in Latin class and, and makes the connection with Ludus and school and game. It, it felt like a good tie back to the earlier chapters because James Halliday was, he studied Latin and that's mm-hmm. why Wade slash Parzival studied Latin. Right. So you could, you could see that like, that's freaking yeah. reasonable. It's been used before, right? Um, how, how good's your Latin? Do you remember what, what the translation for the three words are? Well, I actually did take Latin in high school. Mm-hmm. It was not because of Ready Player One because it had not been written yet. But I fully admit I had to go to Google to translate that into Latin. Come on. You don't know Latin? Haven't you been studying up? <sighs> no. I mean. All right. All right. Fine. Based on, based on your Latin experience through the Googles, what did, what did you come up with? So uh, I'm maybe mispronouncing this, but uh, caritas spes fides. Caritas spes fides. Fides. Spes fides. fides. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. How about Klingon? How's your Klingon? Uh, my, Klingon's, my Klingon's fairly decent. Right. I think in Klingon it's... Okay, no, that's just a Klingon clearing his throat. <laughs> it's him choking on a crab. <laughs> the Klingon translator that I found wasn't exactly super awesome, but it was like, came out with Charity Tolva. Yeah, see, it just used the word charity. Uh, charity doesn't have a direct translation. I'd say that the closest direct translation would be tuva nob, which would be giving hope, faith, or something in that order. You're uh, learned in Klingon? Uh, well, you know, I bought the dictionary. Oh. So you... Way back when, about th- 20 years ago. Oh. Where is it now? Well, it's on my shelf. Well, why don't you look up charity, hope, faith? I, I, well, because charity isn't a word. If there was a people that did not have charity... It would be the Klingons. It precisely, but the, at least you have the word giving is in there. Sure. So giving hope faith translates out, out to that. Okay. Which wouldn't, you know, that, that's the closest we've got to charity there. Otherwise, they're just saying charity. You know, it's just, yeah. Yeah, precisely. And, uh, and did you get the, did you, how's your Elvish? There's a lot of different Elvish translators because there's different forms of Elvish. There's Tolkien... Elvish, and he's got a couple versions, I guess. And honestly, I don't quite understand how to pronounce either of these. But there, it's another one where charity doesn't clearly doesn't just translate very well. So, like, kind of, it kind of does. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's better than Klingon. Like one of the translations was like charity Estella Dur. I'm not really sure what okay. the Dur is, but then a different Elvish translator said charitui Estelle Estelle. Right. Right. That's what I ended up fighting. I, I can't speak Elvish. I don't know how to speak Elvish. <laughs> I will leave that to somebody else to get that pronunciation just right. Yeah. Because I'll just walk all over the fuck that thing. I would just be guessing. Because <laughs> I'm the guy that comes around and says, this is a great drink, Glen Morangy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only you I and actually, I get that. 
Oh Lord, I had somebody. I I was talking about. So I bought this. Uh, you know, I was telling somebody that I bought a bottle, and they, and and they corrected me. <laughs> they correct. Yeah, I said I bought a. I bought this. Uh, you know, I, I said you know I have in my 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 cabinet a decanter of uh, Glenmore Angie, and uh, he said it's uh it's. And he said, yeah, I I enjoy a good glass of Glenmore Angie too. Yep. Said, did you just fucking correct me? That's what he did. <laughs> if you were one of the oologists making suggestions of, of what languages from pop culture that you would suggest. Could you come up with any other ones? Um, A different form of Elvish, perhaps? No. No, no. The thing that comes to mind is maybe you would say it in an accent. Say it in an Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. What if, what if it's the English words, but... You know, you've got to say it in a given accent, like in a certain way. Because when you remember back to the movies, the flick syncs, right? Uh, you got extra points for saying it just right, for getting the right accent, yeah. sort of the right dialect, um, intoning it correctly, I suppose. Uh, but what if this could be one of those situations? What if this was a reference to something completely different, but it required a completely different accent based on what it was in reference to? Man, I hadn't even thought of that. That's such an interesting idea. That would have to be done in an accent and how it might relate to the three words above the door. Right. So I'd be like, uh, try it in Christopher Walken. Uh. <laughs> try it in Sean Connery. Uh, you know, just go through the list of pop culture accents, you know, and, and see if, if see if that doesn't work. Because, you know, it, evidently their system's good enough to do that, right? Sure, yeah. Because obviously the FlickSyncs can figure it out. Oh, man, the FlickSyncs still sound awesome. Yeah, it really does. And we're fuck, we're fucking close. We're very close to it. A lot of the VR stuff I've been playing with, particularly like the any of the animation stuff that they're doing these days. So I'll give you an example like Toy Story. A good portion of this stuff is done in 3D, not not just for viewing 3D per se, but because it's a lot easier to stick a camera in a space or put cameras from multiple angles within a 3D environment. So and still have the characters doing what they do on screen and being able to cut to different places, say like, you know, in Andy's toy room or whatever. So it makes it easier to film and and attract people in this 3D environment. So it's really the next step to viewing a lot of this Pixar shit that we see or stuff from Disney is for them to put you in the environment that allows you to look around. You're you're right there with them. I'm I'm a little surprised. I think the next step is going to be that and we're going to be able to watch Avengers fighting the invasion from the aliens coming into New York and you'll be right there on the street with them. That sounds a little too real. That sounds fucking awesome to me, uh, but would be spectacular, I think, because then you get to see sort of the true size of these heroes, uh, you know, and, and all of the chaos going. And you're like experiencing the moment with them, not just on a big flat screen. So I think that's the next step uh, technology wise. But but yeah, that's how I would do it. Is it would probably not be in another language. It would probably be because it's in English. It's in English on the fucking wall. If it was in Elvish, it would be in Elvish. If it was in Klingon, it'd be printed in Klingon. Sure, but the, but the, wouldn't that just be too easy? Evidently not. <laughs> Putting them in reverse order isn't exactly super cryptic either. Why put them maybe in reverse make it order? A, maybe it would make it harder to to say. Was it was it? It is in reverse order to the song. Yes. But they figured it out. It's just it's just the three words, and maybe just mixing it up makes it so that it falls just out of rhyme to make it unfamiliar to those that are not familiar with the song. And I'll be honest with you. I saw a lot of schoolhouse rock shit when I was younger. I don't remember this song. I didn't see any schoolhouse any. rock. 
It was probably a wee bit before my time. Right. Uh, so if I did see it, well, I don't fucking remember. But well, but did you watch it on YouTube though? Did you go and check out the video yeah, for, I did for, watch, for the song? I did watch the video for Three is a Magic Number, and it will probably be stuck in my head now for at least a day. Mm-hmm. But it it's the price you pay to be you know the cutting edge for podcasting. It feels like it feels like that could be the outro to this this episode. It could be. Three is a magic number. Yes, it is. It's a magic number. Somewhere in the ancient mystic trinity, you get three as a magic number. It's a magic number. Uh, number. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be stuck in your head. Oh, it's going to be stuck in my head. Wait till we do a whole bonus episode on that song. <laughs> wow. Uh, you, no, probably, probably not.